0: This year's youth theme actually plays a, a vital role in this passage. I don't know who read ahead this week? James 4: 7 through12. Who read ahead? So you know that we're in for we're in, we're in for it today. This is a good, hard passage. It's scripture, it's biblical. And the best part about this is, if I do my job and interpret this well, it should be as if God is speaking directly to you. So there's no dodging this passage today. There's no dodging this message. The Holy Spirit's going to try to do a work in your life as he's doing in my life through the same passage. This year's youth theme is It's Not About You. We're basing that on Mark eight thirty four, where Jesus says, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Coming after Jesus includes a lot of self-denial. Things don't become about you anymore. Your life, your goals, your ambitions honestly and frankly don't matter in light of who Jesus is and who Jesus has called you to be. There is no place for selfishness or pride in the kingdom of God. God already deserves and has all the glory, honor, and power. That's where we want to come from coming into James 4, 7 through 12 today. So I'm going to read through this and then we're going to go verse by verse and and walk through this passage. This is what it says in James 4, verse 7. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers, The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? We're coming out of verse 6 here and we start in James 4.6. It talks about how God is opposing the proud but giving grace to the humble. This is a theme we see in the Old Testament. God's opposition to those who are proud and his extension of grace to those who are coming before him humbly. This plays a lot of role in our life. Uh, We we can come to God pridefully and demand things of him or demand answers and responses from him that he is not going to give us. We can come to God pridefully and... Decide who God is on our own. This is a problem in our culture today. We don't get to decide who God is. Scripture has clearly laid out for us who God is. We don't get to say, I think that God is kind of like this. He's already said what he's like. You, can't, you don't get to say, oh, God would probably be more accepting of that than, than we lead on. No, Scripture is pretty clear. Scripture is pretty black and white about a lot of these issues we're facing in culture today. God is who he is. You don't get to decide who God is. So verse 7 leads us. It says submit yourselves therefore to God. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Submit is a tough word in today's culture. Uh, a lot of people hear that word submit and they're like, "No, I'm not a dog." Like, well, I'm not going to submit myself to somebody. If you were to submit yourself to somebody, why not have that person be God? Who has what's best for you in your life, who knows what you need, and sometimes that's discipline. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. There's so much tension in the Christian life of trying to live in this fight between us and God. We, we, we try to decide what, what we think is best for our life, and when God doesn't give it to us, we're like, why didn't you give that to me? I thought that was best. A man thinks that his way is right in his own heart, but God determines his steps. God knows where we should be going. He knows where we should be following him. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Now, some of us in this room are in a battle with God right now. You come here Sunday morning and you're already in a battle. Uh, maybe there's a sick loved one or, or maybe something didn't work out the right way at work or, or in school you're getting picked on. Maybe something's happening and you, you come here and you're upset with God. I have to tell you, that's a place in Psalms where David is quite often. He's upset with God. We see James right away lead us to this place. You need to be submitting to God. We need to come before God with our lives and say, whatever you have for me, I will do. We, we just baptized Leo this morning, and you could, my shirt's not completely dry. We were hoping it would be, but <laughs> hindsight. Um, we baptized Leo this morning, and the symbol of that is that he is dying to himself, and he is being made alive in Christ. So no longer is it Leo who lives, but Christ who lives in him. So the former way of life, Colossians 3 would walk us through this. The, the, that's what I put in your worship thought too. This, this former way of life of deciding how I should live and doing what I want to do, I, that has no place in the kingdom of heaven. It has no place in the family of believers. You are dead to yourself. You are alive in Christ. The first point there, and this is gonna really frustrate some of you. Sorry, I made it two words and it's a small space. <laughs> Be intentionally submitted to the Lord. Be intentionally submitted to the Lord. Submit yourselves therefore to God. This is an intentional daily walk, an act of obedience. This isn't something that we just have magically happen. Your flesh is prone to wander. Your flesh is prone to be against this. Uh, One of the songs we sang this morning was Be Thou My Vision. Love that song. I know a lot of you guys love that song, too. Uh, My favorite line of the song says, Heart of my own hearts, whatever befall, still be my vision, O ruler of all. Despite anything that happens in our lives, we look to God. Whatever befall. Uh, Events in our lives, uh, temporary things shouldn't change our focus of worshiping God shouldn't change our vision of following God and it does it so often Uh, Corinthians walks us through this the things that are seen are temporary but the things that are unseen are eternal this light momentary affliction has nothing compared to the eternal weight of glory and yet we have these events come in our lives and we get so thrown off and that song is a cry of my heart that whatever happens that Jesus would still be our vision Submit yourselves, therefore, to God, he says. Next thing he says is resist the devil and he will flee from you. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Now, what this doesn't look like is it doesn't look like, oh no, I'm being tempted, have Satan go away, and then you're all fine and dandy for the rest of your life. It's not what that looks like. Resisting the devil is a daily, intentional resistance against Satan and his schemes. It's staying away from the house of temptation. It's like Joseph running from Potiphar's wife, leaving his cloak behind. Resisting the devil isn't a a, a one-moment thing. It's a daily, hourly, minute-by-minute, second-by-second resistance against the devil and his schemes. I don't remember who said, but somebody once said, one of the devil's greatest lies is convincing the world he doesn't exist. One of the devil's greatest lies is convincing the world he doesn't exist. Spiritual warfare is a real thing. James even walks us through that really briefly here. That the devil is... The devil and his demons are out to stop Christians from doing God's work. And so in resisting the devil, we are intentionally staying submitted to God. When the devil comes and starts to tempt us with things, we should not be in those areas. If it's your phone, if it's your iPad, if it's your laptop or computer... Maybe those things need to be getting rid of. It's not proper English. Maybe you need to get rid of those things. Uh, People lived without phones for a long time. Um, We can live without phones. If these things are causing us to stumble in our walks with God, maybe we we should not have those things in our lives. Resisting the devil is daily, second-by-second obedience. Not getting near these areas of temptation, but allowing God to, to guide and direct our lives. It's better for one eye to be removed than for the whole body to be cast into hell. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. This is a thing that we see in the Old Testament too, in the Psalms, that those who draw near to God, God also draws near to them. This doesn't look like an emotional feeling that God is close to you. Although that might come with it, drawing near to God is also intentional. Drawing near to God means doing the things that James has been walking us through. That you're devoted to prayer. That you're devoted to the scripture. That you're devoted to caring for those in the household of faith. That you're watching for widows and orphans. That you are making intentional steps to further love the community of believers. That's what drawing near to God looks like. It doesn't look like, today for five minutes I read my Bible, and I don't know, I don't feel close to God. Well, yeah, you read your Bible for five minutes. Although that's helpful and there's a good place for that, being second by second devoted to God takes intentionality. It takes a life of prayer. That's why Paul tells the Philippians, pray without ceasing. Because this life isn't segmented. It's not sectioned off. You don't get to decide, I'm going to be a Christian on Sunday or a Bible study or a youth group. Your Christianity should be reflected of your whole life. Your life should be imitating God. When you draw near to God, it is true that He will draw near to you. Sometimes in life, we think that we're drawing near to God and He's not drawing near to us. And we're like, what's going on? A lot of times what happens is there's unconfessed sin in your life. A lot of times there's an intentional need to turn from the sin and turn back to Jesus. So in this drawing near to God, be honest with yourself and where you're at. Be honest with God about that. (laughs) Confess your sin. Repent. Continue to put sin to death. Continue to be in that place where you're looking to God and saying, I don't have it all together. I need your help. I messed up in this area. God is a God who desires repentance and confession of us. This is how we draw near to God. Daily, moment by moment, intentional drawing near. Intentional putting sin to death. He says, Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Remember, these, these people in this community are battling for prominence. They desire to be seen and known. They want to be first. Now, here's the problem. Remember when when the disciples asked Jesus, who will be first in the kingdom of heaven? Do you remember what he said? He said, the last will be first. And we use that with kids and lines. We'd be like, no, you should be last, because then you'll be first. Which is not the application point there. Um, The last will be first. So this this vying for prominence, even in a church setting, is completely inappropriate. Uh, Completely not what God has in mind for us as believers. We shouldn't be saying, I want to be first. I want to be the one that has this position. If I were a group leader at Awana or a director at Awana, or if I had the ability to lead this thing, that would be awesome. That's not how a Christian should live. Christians Christian should live daily, devoted to submitting before God and saying, what do you have for me in this season? What do you have for me in this moment? Where are you leading Something, we we went through the Gospel of John recently with the youth, and something that Andrew and Peter ask of Jesus when they, they first find him and they're starting to follow him. And Jesus turns around and looks at them and he says, What do you want, basically? What are you doing following me? And Andrew, it's a great name, looks at Jesus and he says, Rabbi, where are you staying? Rabbi, where are you staying? This should be the question we ask Jesus all the time. Jesus, where are you staying? What are you desiring for my life? Because as Christians, sometimes we can say, Jesus, come follow me. I'm going to do this, but it's cool if you hang out. Until it gets a little, uh, a little bit scary, and then you might be left by the wayside. When truly what a Christian does is say, Jesus, where are you staying? Where are you going? I'm going to follow you with my life. Nothing else matters in light of who Jesus is. Peter says we have left houses and wives and and so much more for your sake. And Jesus says, yes, you will gain much more in the kingdom of heaven. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, James says here. As Christians, if we're honest with ourselves, we have a daily fight against sin. Daily fight. And we need to be doing this. We need to be cleansing our hands of our sin, turning to Jesus and asking for for forgiveness and repenting of our sins day by day, moment by moment, not living a life of continual sin, but trusting Him to forgive us and lead us out from that. He says, purify your hearts, you double-minded. He desires, James desires for this community of believers that they would have pure hearts as they're in the congregation, as they're in church. That they wouldn't be looking at Jesus and saying, I want to worship you, and I also want to be important. The the culture that James is writing to is an honor-shame culture, meaning the most important things you can gain in this culture is honor. And the worst thing you can do is shame yourself. But Christianity flips that completely on its head and says, no, shame is good if it's in the name of Jesus. Because life is not about you. And so when he says this, when he says, purify your heart to double-minded, he doesn't desire the believers to have two focuses. I want to worship Jesus, and I want to be important. No, Jesus is above all else. Your importance doesn't matter in the kingdom of God. It doesn't matter. All that matters is focusing on Jesus. In a few weeks here, Four weeks, we're going to be going to Hume Lake. Uh, a bunch of our high schoolers and leaders uh, are going to be going to Hume Lake, and we're going to spend time at a camp called Wildwood. And Wildwood, woo, okay, Wildwood is a great place. Um, one of the things we do there is this thing called group initiatives, and we'll basically have the whole team trying to accomplish a goal together. It'll be our youth with youth from another church, and they'll be trying to do this thing together. And it's way more fun as a leader because you get to stand back and start to make people mute or blind, take away these um, capacities that they fall back on. Uh, A lot of times it's really hard if you are an outspoken vocal leader to realize the value in a group. Um, And so what we'll do is if we have somebody that we think I'm going to give you youth some tips on accident, sorry. If we have somebody that we think is a good leader, but might be a little bit too outspoken and needs to stand back and watch, we'll say, Brian, you're mute. And now Brian can't talk the rest of the activity. So Brian has to stand back and watch as this all happens. I think that's actually super helpful. Um, I think it's helpful in our own Christian lives, because sometimes, sometimes there's like 35 ways to do something, but we think that there's one way to do something. And so we'll be like, this is the only way to do this, and if we don't do this this way, it won't work out. When in reality, sometimes God is trying to say to you, stand back and watch. Watch these people actually do something. Uh, Watch these people do something that you didn't think could be done without you. Uh, I think that's super helpful to stand back in humility and allow God to lead uh, through people that aren't you sometimes. (laughs) Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Don't desire prominence or leadership in these ways. Verses 9 and 10, we're going to switch gears a little bit. Uh, A life of humility is required for Christians. A life of humility is required for Christians. This isn't optional. You don't get to decide whether or not you want to be humble because you're going to decide pride every time life of humility is required for Christians. This is what James so lovingly says. I don't mean that sarcastically. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. He starts off by switching this Um, Old Testament blessing and flipping it on its head. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Sin is taken seriously in the kingdom of God. Sin is taken seriously in the kingdom of God. When James looks at this community, he's saying you don't get to be playing around in your sin and playing Christian on Sundays or Thursdays or at Bible study. Um, That's not something that we do as Christians. If you are in sin, be wretched and mourn and weep. Here's the truth. Sin is what put God's son on the cross. Sin is the reason why God poured out his wrath on Jesus. So when we start to do things like, I don't think that's that bad. I don't think that that's a problem. I can do this a little bit and quit any time. We start to look at Jesus on the cross and say, I'm not sure that you needed to suffer that much because I just decided what sin is. And that is a terrible, scary place to be. No, there's going to be a day where we stand before God in judgment and he's going to look at us. And if we decided that we were the Lord of our life, if we decided that we were the ones dictating how, how we live, I'm afraid that he's going to do what he does in Matthew 7 and look at some of us in this room and we're going to come to him and say, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? In your name do many miracles and cast out demons and he's going to look at you and he's going to look at us and say, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoer. Look, Christianity isn't something we put on and take off. It's not a t-shirt. It's not, it's not an article of clothing. Uh, Christianity is daily, moment by moment, devotion and killing of sin before Jesus. And so when we sin, don't take it lightly. Because God didn't take it lightly. It cost the life of His Son. This is something that we do sometimes in the church. We don't want to offend people. We don't want to step on any toes. and We don't want you to feel bad. If you're in sin, you should feel bad. That, that's okay. You should feel bad. Um, you should be having your toes stepped on. In fact, that's what Jesus asked us to do in Matthew 18. You remember that? If any of you are caught in sin, let you who are spiritual restore him in the spirit of gentleness, that, that we, we confront our brother who's in sin and we say, that's not good in your life, brother. We do that out of love and in gentleness, but we say that needs to die. There's no place in this life for pride. There's no place in this life for that sin. And so in love, we address our brother. And, and honestly, that hurts sometimes to have people come to you and say, that's sin and that needs to be dead. And our pride we can we can push that back and say no i know what i'm doing and i'm right but god's asking us in humility to say that doesn't need to die my sin needs to be put to death james says be wretched and mourn and weep sin is no joking or laughing matter in the church the life of a christian sin is going to be put to death if you don't put it to death god will says let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom as Christians sometimes we can delight in the things that God hates that cost Jesus his life the whole purpose of why we're here is because we believe that Jesus paid the price for our sins sometimes we can justify this by saying i know god will forgive me i know jesus will forgive me if i do this and in doing that we're cheapening his grace the grace that was so costly that it cost Jesus his life, we're looking at him and saying, it's okay, I can do it again. It's okay, the world doesn't need to know that I followed Jesus with my whole life. It's okay, I can lie to the world about who Jesus is. We start to make exceptions for things and stop basing things on Scripture and finding things and founding things in Jesus. We start to pass away from that and lead away from that. And James is saying here, No, the place we should be when we're in sin is a place of mourning. Until you are right with God, don't laugh. Don't have joy. Mourn and weep over the sin that killed the one that you claim to be your Lord and Savior, the one that I claim to be my Lord and Savior. Weep for that sin. He says, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. God's desire for believers, through James here to this community, is that they be humble. That they come before God and recognize who He is so they can recognize who they are. That God is all of these names on our walls. He is judge. He is living God. He sanctifies. He's our righteousness. He is fully just, fully God. He is the word of truth, and he will one day come back to judge the world. And so recognizing who Jesus is, then should immediately humble ourselves. Say, wow, how do I even have a relationship with this good God? How am I even able to stand before him in prayer and bring my request to him? James echoes, again, in Old Testament, saying here that, that those who humble themselves before the Lord will be exalted in the kingdom of God recognizing who we are before God is vitally important to the life of a Christian. That if we come before him and say, God, I'm a sinner and I need help, he's not going to be like, whoa, no way. He won't be shocked by that. He died for your sin. You'll come to him, you'll say, I'm a sinner, I need help. And he'll welcome you in and say, yes, you do. Let's work on that. Humble yourselves before the Lord. He will exalt you verses 11 through 12 it says do not speak evil against one another brothers the one who speaks evil against a brother who one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law but if you judge the law you are not a doer of the law but a judge there is only one lawgiver and judge he who is able to save and to destroy but who are you to judge your neighbor Some of you already underlined or highlighted that, and I want to caution you on that, because we'll explain that in a second. Um, 11 through 12, you are not God. That's your point. You are not God. You're not. I know that sometimes we, we might not actually think to ourselves, I'm God. But by our actions, we can be dictating that. I'm the one who's God. I'm the one who's living life the way I want to, and I'm making these decisions. You are not God. You don't get to do that. So he walks through this passage here and he says, Do not speak against evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. So James is, is echoing that humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. And he's looking at these people and he's saying, you don't get to decide the laws. You don't get to execute judgment and condemnation. Although, stipulation, he's not saying... You don't address each other. You don't confront each other on sin because we just talked about that. That is what we do as Christians. Matthew 18 spells that out for us. We do confront each other on sin. Um, What he's saying is you don't get to make up these laws and these judgments. You don't get to execute those things. Anything that's not in scripture, you don't get to make up and say, well, there's no blue shirts in church, so too bad for you wearing blue shirts. I don't get to decide that. God's already spelled out in Scripture what, what is good and what isn't good. Um, and that's what was happening in this community. These believers were doing this. They were, they were saying, this is good, and it's not in Scripture. And then they were judging each other for it and saying, ah, you didn't do that. You wore a blue shirt to church, so now I have to confront you. That's not what's happening here. If you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. In doing this, they were placing themselves above what God had commanded them. They were saying, I'm the one who can execute and determine what is good and what is right. And in so doing, they were placing themselves in the place of God. He ends by saying, there's only one lawgiver and judge. He who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Man, that, in, in modern popular Christianity, that phrase, who are you to judge your neighbor? That's like the golden phrase, judge not. Yeah. It's true, but it's also true that we are to confront each other on sin. Paul says judge with sober judgment. Bear each other's burdens. Hold each other accountable. Live life together in Christ. I don't get to look at my brother or sister in sin and say, you know, they're going to slip up and their walk with God's going to suffer, but... Judge not. I don't want to step on any toes and offend anyone. So I'm going to let their walk with God suffer and let them backslide and fall away from Christ. How unloving would that be? If I were to see a brother or sister in sin, in danger of an eternity in hell, and look at them and say, I don't want to offend you, so I'm not going to say anything. Man, that must mean I hate that person if I believe what God says to be true, if I believe that sin distances us from God, distances us from other believers, distances us from ourselves, then when I see a brother or sister in sin, if I don't address it lovingly and in gentleness, then I am doing them a great misservice as a brother in Christ. Sin needs to be addressed. We do need to judge In some sense, not executing punishment, not determining what the law is, but weighing whether or not what is being said and done is right. Listen, uh, Christianity is a serious thing. Moment by moment, putting death to sin and living for Christ, deciding that what the devil urges us to do is not good and and living Sacrificially in humility toward Christ day by day, moment by moment, that is hard. A lot of times we can, we can say things like, the gospel isn't complicated. And it's true, it's not. But life in Christ is hard sometimes. In fact, Jesus, when people started to follow him, he'd say these things. He'd say, foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He told his disciples, if they persecuted me, they'll persecute you also. Many will be put to death for my namesake. He never promised nice houses and wealth. He never said that. In fact, he said you're going to be hated. It's going to be difficult. Life will be hard. In Christ, it's all worth it. Blessings in heaven. Inheritance that never will perish, spoil, or fade. Life in Christ is worth it couple of things i want to close with how are you letting sin reign in your life how are you letting sin reign in your life are there areas in your life that you need to cut out that you need to avoid going to those places those websites those apps those chats those conversations at work do you need to avoid those what areas are you letting sin reign in your life What steps need to be made this week to humble yourself before the Lord? Humbling yourself before the Lord is not an easy task. It's not something that you just, oh, yeah, I want to consider myself nothing. Your your flesh will fight against that every chance it gets. And so you need to make steps intentionally to humble yourselves before God, to be wretched over your sin, to mourn and weep. Uh, what is Ecclesiastes says, better is a house of mourning than a house of feasting. Because in the house of mourning, things are real. You're faced with life. You're faced with these real things. In a house of feasting, there's laughter and joy and it's light. And those are the places we, we are drawn to, especially in America. We're drawn to these places where things are happy and we're distracted and it's good. But when we get faced with that realness... Oh, that's hard. What places in your life do you need to humble yourself before God, before the Lord? I shared this story with some of you before. I, um, I went to Biola University. I got my bachelor's in biblical studies, and it was a great experience. Toward the end of my program, um, I had the opportunity to take this class. It was called Work and Calling. It's a great class uh, talking about how each of us are called to the places where we work. That's where God has you, desires you to do ministry there. I was working with this professor, and um, he and I would argue almost every class, and I'd apologize after him and be like, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to like offend you. Um, and we just had these good conversations. Toward the end of the semester, he was like, hey, do you want to be my teacher's assistant next semester? I was like, yeah, totally, that'd be awesome. Um, and so I started to work for him and with him, and we'd brainstorm about this class, and He used to be in children's ministry, so I'd ask him questions about that. And the relationship grew, and I learned a lot from him in um, understanding ministry and life and and how to balance work and calling and where our faith is founded in Christ. And one day I remember I I got an email from him, which wasn't abnormal, and he said, can you proctor these exams? And I said, yeah. I said, is everything okay? And he said, can you just proctor the exams? I was like, oh, yeah, for sure. Proctored the exams, and people are like, where's your professor? Where is he? Is he okay? I was like, I don't know. Um, A week later, I got an email from the dean of Talbot saying that they had dismissed him. What had happened is he had made poor decisions. He let the devil get a foothold. Uh, He ended up committing adultery um, and was fired from his job for it. And it wasn't this thing that just suddenly happened. It was these moments where he just let stuff slip. Closed doors and meetings and lack of accountability and just step by step started to slip. It was hard. It was hard to process this and think like he walked me through a lot of how to live as a Christian and what do I do with this now. And I had this other professor that asked if I wanted to talk about it because he knew the situation and knew I was working with him and I'll never forget I, I went into that meeting and he leaned across this table I said, I don't know what happened and, and he's like, I can't fill you in he's like, all I can tell you is don't ever, ever let the devil grab a foothold never he'll take it all this, this is James' heart here that sin is being put to death that we're not letting the devil grab a foothold that we're resisting the devil making intentional steps to say, I'm not going to fall into that temptation. In fact, I'm not going to be near it. I don't want opportunities for that. This is why if there's a lady meeting with a pastor here, we either have our door cracked or our windows open. We don't want any chance of possibly being misunderstood of what we're doing. Moment by moment, step by step, are we resisting the devil? Are we... Humbly submitting ourselves before God. Are you allowing him to reign in our lives? Question number two here. In what ways are you putting yourself in God's place? In what ways are you putting yourself in God's place? Are you executing judgment on people for things that aren't biblical? How does that impact your view of others? How does that impact your own humility? This is a tough thing. In the church, and I think it's something that the, the people James is addressing were struggling with too, is comparing ourselves to other people. If we're doing better than him, then we're going to be doing great. Or I might have sinned, but at least I didn't do what they did, and that's way worse. No, your, your comparison as a Christian is to Christ. It's not to other people. You don't need somebody else's walk. You need your walk with Christ, humbly submitted to him, following him moment by moment. Don't put yourself in God's place. View others in love, And act in humility, in everything you do. Let me pray. Lord, thank you for this morning and the joy of baptism and the realness of this passage in James, I ask that you would help us to mourn and weep for our sin, that we wouldn't desire to be a place of feasting when there's sin in our lives. Lord, please put that to death, whatever it takes in our lives, Lord. Remove sin from us. Help us to humble ourselves before you, submit to you, glorify you with our lives, Lord. Lord, Jesus' name.